start off with here is, are there situations or people that you do not like? And are there situations or people you cannot cope with? And I think we all have something like that. Um, So I want you to take a few minutes and feel free to share that around your table and be honest. That's what we're here for. like in the situations you don't like. You might even want to write them down in a column next to your study guide, only because we're going to be focusing in on that as well. And especially if it's situations or um, people within our church or within our fellowship, the body of Christ, that's equally as important, if not more, um, for the work that Paul is going to be talking about today. But when we when we talk about those questions, one of the additional questions I want to point out is this for you to think about. Is it the circumstances or is it the person dealing with the circumstance that is the problem. And that's what we're going to be talking a little bit about on certain issues here. And a matter of fact, it can actually go through the whole entire uh, passage that we're studying. I like this quote from John MacArthur. He says, it's the person that is the problem, and he imposes upon every circumstance his own inadequacy. And that's, that's kind of a wake-up call for, a little, for some of us. And sometimes we don't even think um, about that as being the true situation, but in most cases it is. It's almost like the mirror situation when, you know, you're, um, you're looking at someone and their wrongs, um, and then you take the mirror and you look at yourself and you're like, oh, it's me. But that's the same thing with circumstances and situations and being the person. I'm going to use an example here because, again, I love to use testimonies, and one is my own with my mother. Um, for some of you who, have, who, who know me, you might know my mother. She has come here um, on and off because she's not from this area. She lives a little bit more south from here, but she is disabled. She's blind, and what's interesting about my mother is that this was not a blindness that she had all her life. It actually came on really quickly when I was in high school, and then in college she completely lost all um, uh, opportunities to drive and do certain things that we take for granted, and now she cannot see any, mu- any more than probably um, a pillar of light or maybe even like a shade of light, and then that's where she knows there's an object in her way. Well, you would not know that my mother is blind, especially if you were to see her today, because she consistently has a face of joy. She consistently talks about life. She consistently talks about the Lord. She talks about what she's doing and what she has. Not once will she mention her blindness. Now, I, on the other hand, boast about her because I think that's phenomenal. As a matter of fact, I forget sometimes she is blind. Of course, she cannot drive um, when she's at our home, she has to feel around and look around. When she's around the kids, she'll call the kids beautiful. She's not talking about beautiful in the sense of physical. She's talking about beauty in the sense of the soul. And it's just amazing the way that she looks at life. Now, for her, she's very similar to Paul in a sense, because Paul talks in scripture about a thorn being in his side, and that kind of brings him down to a um, selfless type of situation where he doesn't let pride take over. And and it's a, it's a, actually another reminder, you know, to keep on task and trust in the Lord, even though that, that thorn in the side is, is something that's trying to distract him. Same thing here. My mother will not let that blindness distract her. She will not. She will not complain about it. She will not um, cry about it. She will go to the doctor and you know when they're when they're sticking a barrel needle into the vitreous humor area of her eye that I would be wincing and crying and saying ah! she, she just moves her feet. You watch her feet and they move and you can tell she's in deep pain but she will not cry. And that is the power of the Lord because she trusts in the Lord. She knows the end result is eternity for her so this life here on earth is a piece of cake. But she's there. She's got it. And those are the things that we talk about when we talk about circumstances. As a matter of fact, there's an interesting um, uh, thought that I was reading in one of my studies regarding this passage. And 
this man from Britain writes, okay, think about the persecuted believers in a militant Muslim country or hardline communist states. What would they say about us Americans? You know, when we're we're talking about circumstances and Christianity, what what have the Western Christians got to endure? I mean, seriously, you think about that where they're at, and then you think about the endurances that we go through. Yes, we're going to have um, pain, we're going to have illnesses, we're going to have sufferings, things like that. But when you think of the whole context of what we have as American Christians here, ooh, we've got it good. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. And, and I, I please uh, forgive me if, if someone's going through a real bad hardship because I know I don't. I we will not understand those. Um, sometimes they're very overwhelming. But what we can do with Christ is what's going to be overwhelming here. All right, so some of the things that we've got to think about, too, is that as Americans in this world, if you think about television, all the commercials we see, all the infomercials we see, most of them have a quick fix or a cure or a remedy to our problems. So it might be cleaning. It might be, um, you know, a, a, an easier way to fold laundry or steam your curtains or wash the floors or whatever. But when it comes to ailments, it's equally true. How many times have we seen maybe a one-minute commercial, an infomercial um, that talks about about uh, losing weight or lowering your blood pressure or lowering your um, your anxiety or your depression. You know what's interesting about that? It's very it's very um, impressionable because you think, oh, neat, they have a fix for that. And you start getting drawn into it. But then at the end, you list all the precautions of taking that drug. Isn't that kind of ironic? You think, you know, it's almost like a comedy. Then, But you might have, you know, uh, watch out because you could have heart disease or you could have a heart attack or you could have stroke or, I mean, it goes on and on and on and you just think, are you, are you hearing that? Are you hearing that they just said that this is a fix for this, but then you might have all these other things? We don't. We normally don't. We just grab onto the quick fix and forget about the consequences. I mean, isn't that kind of what we do as Americans? I think that often, I, I, find, I find it very kind of humorous in a sense, but it's sad. Because as Americans, we do get pulled into that. We're very impressionable. That's our environment. That's our culture. And so that's something, again, that we're going to have to be battling. Because even though we have the good life as Americans, we have a battle here in the United States just as easy um, in a different type of scheme. That's how the devil works. He works very sly. He works under the radar. He's going to come and like a thief in the night. He's not going to come like a backtrack. And we thought we had that figured out as Americans, didn't we? But that's not the case. Anyhow, what we want to focus in on is... Um, Tending to see ourselves as adequate, especially as Christians, until we have issues or problems and troubles. Job in 14.1 said this, man is born into trouble. Everybody has problems. Everybody has problems. It could be a very uh, small problem, moderate problem, or a huge problem. Everybody has got problems. Problems with people and problems with situations or circumstances. The question is not who's got problems. The question is who's got victory over problems. Who can cope with it? Well, there's three ways to te- that we tend to handle problems in life. There's three ways, basically, to live life in that realm. Number one is break out. Okay, so with panic, frustration, and anger. So if you have a problem, um, you know, you're encountering a problem, is this your tendency? Do you tend to panic? Do you get upset at somebody? Do you get angry? The second one is breakdown. You go silent. You feel defeated. Depression sets in. There's a sense of numbness. You kind of shut off the world a little bit. Or number three, breakthrough and victory. Now, the tendency, I will have to admit, for me, is going to be number two. And that's a tendency I have. Here's the situation. All of us are going to have one or two tendencies in the most part sometime. But it's what characterizes us. Are we going to always be number one? Are we always going to be the breakout? Are we always going to be the number two, the breakdown? 
Or are we predominantly going to be number three, the breakthrough and victory? If I'm consistent, I might have a fall here. I might be the breakout some one day. And then three months later, I might have the breakdown one day. But every day, am I going to be the breakthrough? Is that going to be what I'm going to strive for? Is that what I'm going to be characterized for? Or am I characterized? Do people know you for being the person that breaks out? Your panic, your frustration. You call everyone. You get on Facebook. You email everyone. You know, it's that craziness. Or are you the one that I miss? I don't talk to my husband. And before we recommitted our, our lives to Christ, there would be weeks. Weeks we wouldn't talk to each other. Weeks. Nuts. I mean, we would cut off each other, and we were like two strangers in the same household. I was just quiet and just in my own little corner. He was doing his thing. You know, it was just, it's, it's, it's really sad. That is how Satan gets a foothold. But now I can honestly say that my life, for the most part, not 100%, for the most part, is breaking through. I don't want to live a life of breaking out or breaking down. I know that that gives Satan a, a, hand, a foothold to get into my life and cause division. So here's the question around your table. What tendency do you tend to take when handling problems? Is it number one, the breaking out? Is it number two, breakdown? Or is it number three, the breakthrough? Okay, so we'll give a few minutes to talk about that. If you haven't answered, just real quickly point at each member at your table. Say breakout, breakdown, breakthrough real quickly. Just 30 seconds to do that so everyone kind of has an idea of what we're talking about a little bit. know people that are in one of those three categories for the most part. And if you think of the people um, that are breakouts, people, are they really characterized by that? Do you see that often enough of that person that you'd probably say that person is lives this way? Same thing with this person. Does this look that person live the breakdown way very, uh, very uh, repetitively? And that's what characterizes them. Well, for us as Christian sisters here, as Christians in general, we need to learn how to break through. We need to be characterized as breaking through in victory. That's what's going to stand us out like the neon sign that we talked about in uh, Philippians 1 through uh, 127 on a life worthy of the gospel. I know I mentioned the neon sign. There's a difference because I'll tell you, in America or in the world, breaking out and breaking down are probably the most common things that are going to happen. Those are the people we're, that, the, the unbelievers that we're going to be dealing with. And those are the, um, those are the hard lives. I mean, that is no way to live life. It, it, actually, we, call, we say this, my friends and I, it sucks rocks. <laughs> I mean, there is nothing good about that kind of life. Maybe temporary crutches might hold you up, but they're going to break down. It's not, it's not a life to live. As a matter of fact, Paul learned how to live with life in victory. He wanted to share that victory. Do you see that? I mean, he talks about that all through Philippians. He talks, and as a matter of fact, in Philippians, it's almost like a broken record. Have you noticed that? He kind of repeats himself several times. And the beauty of having several different teachers up here is we get to, we get to take those perspectives and, and put them in different molds and present them different ways. And that's a wonderful thing. Well, Paul's trying to do that within Philippians, but I feel like it's repetitive. It's consistently repetitive. As if we're not getting it yet, but he wants to strain it so much in all different perspectives to pound it into us to know that 
there is hope in Jesus Christ. Anyhow, he's sitting in jail. He faced Felix and Festus and Agrippa. As a matter of fact, those are uh, those during his first trials. If you know any background of Paul, um, Festus and Felix were the successors. They were holding him captive, basically, for his trials. He stood fully before the Greeks on Mars Hill. He declared his faith. There's all these things. As a matter of fact, we're gonna we're gonna read a list in Scripture of these things to give an idea of all of the crud he was enduring. But yet, he didn't focus on his circumstance. He focused on his victory through Jesus Christ, and that is what was was so amazing about Paul. If there's any character in the Bible besides Jesus. It's Paul that is just, I think it's just amazing with what he's been through. He lived a life worthy of the gospel. This is what the life worthy of the gospel says in 127. So just hear me out here. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. And that's basically what we're talking about today, is standing firm. That's the highlight of what we're going to talk about with these adequacies. So, breaking through by living adequately in the Lord, that's a victory. Is it actually um, takes upon five different adequacies within this passage, and these are the five that are scoped out a little bit. Um, you could go into more detail and find more adequacies in this passage, but here's the five that I felt God spoke to my heart on. First one is adequate stance, being being stand, uh, standing firm in the Lord, adequate love, and I'm telling you, this is all in the Lord. Um, three, adequate joy. Four, adequate gentleness, and five, adequate security. All this through the Lord. Chapter 4 was the closing appeal for steadfastness and unity. To sum it up, chapter 4 sends three powerful message overall, which is standing firm, getting along with other Christians, and prayer. Within each of these are the adequacies of stance, love, joy, gentleness, and security. And that's, again, what we're going to focus on in only an hour to get it done. <laughs> Lord, we love you. Okay, let me read Philippians 4.17. Or four one through seven, you can follow along in the scripture as well. And I will have to say, there's some scripture I may be flipping to, and I'll just read right through, so you don't have to flip back and forth. But they are documented on your study guide. Okay, therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. I plead with Udaya, and I plead with Sintechi to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of the fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Notice those exclamation marks in there. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, there's two women in this in this passage as well, and I will pronounce their names so many different ways. I looked up every pronunciation for these wonderful women and Two or three were so di- were completely different. So I might say it one way one time, say it the other, but you get the point. So that's how it kind of is in scripture. Okay. So number one is adequate stance. Okay. And here's before I I kind of go into adequate stance, I want to talk a little bit about um, three pictures I put up here, just a little bit to put in your forefront, because we're going to really be focusing on the end one here. The number one is, when I had, um, when I was starting my study in Philippians in the beginning of the semester, my study Bible, it stays at home, um, the cover has a big oak tree and it says, stand firm in the Lord, and it was Philippians 4.1. Um, well, that's very symbolic of the tree, you know, um, oak trees, or trees in general being rooted, and, and um, being rooted as well as talked in scripture, and that's a, a, a kind of a, um, 
a picture of, of standing firm. Also, the lighthouse, um, if you look up um, stand firm scripturally, or if you get little devotional cards, usually in some cases you'll see a lighthouse and, you know, it's a um, solid foundation on the rock, you know, can weather the storm or the winds or things along those lines. So that's another pictorial standing firm. But the final one here is a soldier. And that's basically what he is going to be talking about, Paul's talking about in this context, is a stance like a soldier. Now, you notice there's no roots or there's no um, rocks. And we're just a basic human being in a soldier position of taking guard, taking stance. And that's what Paul's really talking about as a human. Um, and, and we're going to talk a little bit about how that works here in life. And if you take a real soldier and what they do is they practice and they're in boot camp and all that stuff, we're in boot camp. We're in boot camp. We're not, you know, we, God just doesn't throw us out in the battlefield and expects us to fight battle without being trained. And training is with the Word of God and training is with prayer and petition and all that. So we're going to really focus in on the soldier aspect of, of standing firm. All right, so number one is adequate stance. In order to stand firm, Paul writes to the Philippians and warns them that they must put an end to disagreements, rejoice always, and fill their thoughts with good things. Well, we have to back up and read prior to Philippians 4 because he starts off with one with therefore. So I want to read back to that a little bit. So if we go back to Philippians 3, 12 through 21, it's just up a notch there in your Bible. Let's read this. I'm going to read this um, slowly. Read along with me in your in your head here so that we can get the context. Starting with 12. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Jesus Christ took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining forward what is ahead, I press on for, toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me, heavenward, in Christ Jesus. 15 goes on to say, all of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that to God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have as, us as a model, keep your eyes on those on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. That just gives me chills right there. So then he goes into, therefore, based upon that context, therefore, he's focusing right there that we are we're saved, we're saved. And because we know that, stand firm in that. Okay? So question here. How are we to stand firm in the Lord? What's your perspective on that? Just in your everyday life. So take a minute. Share around the table. And again, we have to remind that those who don't, do not speak a whole lot, that maybe they would want to have an opportunity to speak up a little bit or um, put the pressure on them to do so. Okay? They'd like. Okay. Adequate stance. All right. So the word used... Oh, I have to back up real quick. Angela pointed out something. On the front page, I apologize. Um, if you didn't catch the fill-in-the-blank, the second fill-in-the-blank, it's Word of God. So, breaking through is the only way to live. Where is the answer to make this happen? In the word of God. I apologize for that. 
Okay, so underneath that question, how do we just stand firm in the Lord? Well, the word used in the Bible is stakeda or stakeda, whatever the pronunciation is on that one, which means to stand and was used for a soldier standing firm in his position in the midst of battle, just like I had mentioned previously. That's the context Paul's uh, looking at. And a matter of fact, in that time too, um, uh, what I have read too is in Philippians, uh, or Philippi, um, a lot of the... Um, townspeople or, or citizens there were basically a lot of retired soldiers. And so he, you know, he could use this and refer to that as well. Um, and think about um, a soldier and what it means to stand and used for as far as training. Also, this sounds, sounds like a steak. For me, I, when I first read that word, it sounded like steak to me, like steak. You know, when you pound a steak into the ground, that's another way to kind of look at that word for me. Um, but this is why we want to think about how we practice that. How firm are we? How, how rooted are we? How, um, how is our foundation on this? Are you standing firm against problems? If you are consistent with your position and you practice it over and over and over, like the soldier in boot camp, are you adequate? I mean, I would like to think that our military just doesn't go to a one-day boot camp and then we send them off to fight for our, our country's rights, our country's freedoms. Bless our, anyone that has a soldier in their family, God bless them, God bless them, God bless them. I mean, I, I have to, I talk about my mom, I'm talk, I'm gonna talk about my dad real quick. My dad was a Vietnam vet. He's passed, of course, he passed away several years ago, unfortunately. But um, my dad was very quiet growing up talking about Vietnam. He was a decorated soldier. He came back with battle wounds. I mean, just a lot of things. He's, he witnessed death um, when he got off the airplane um, from, uh, from you know, uh, rightfully uh, defending his country. People spit on him, <laughs> um, you know, said awful things to him. It was awful. So he kept quiet. He broke down, basically. Didn't want to, you know, um, share anything. But when he'd see another Vietnam vet, oh, it was like two best friends. He would not even know them, you know, but it'd be two best friends. But what's interesting about that is that, you know, you think about a soldier and how they are, they work so hard in boot camp to, to fight and to um, be prepared for battle and all of that. And it, it's amazing. The last few years of my dad's life, he actually opened up and was asked to speak to several schools about his Vietnam experience. And he opened up about all his training and all the things he had to go through and endure to get to the battlefield. It's amazing. I, I, I cannot say it enough. It is amazing, amazing, amazing. But our country, smart, we would never put our, our men or women in a one-day boot camp and send them overseas, would we? Uh-uh. They practice, and they work, and they get conditioned. And that's exactly what Paul's telling us. That's what Paul's telling in this letter. He's telling you've got to practice and practice and practice so that you're characterized as a soldier, that you're just not a civilian fighting in, a, in an army with the odds against you. I mean, the odds are going to be against you no matter what, but the odds are going to be really against you as a civilian in this sense. Okay, so that's what that's what we're talking about here. Now, when you think of soldier too, you can't help but to think about Ephesians 6 when we talk about the armor of God. I think most of us know about the armor of God. Let me read that for you. If you want to turn it to Ephesians 6, 10 through 18, that's fine as well. Otherwise, I'm going to read through it because of the lack of time here. So you can pick up where I start. Okay, the armor of God. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything to stand, stand firm. And that's in Ephesians. says it again. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist 
place and a breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And pray, pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for the Lord's people. This is essentially what Paul has reiterated in uh, uh, Philippians 4, 1 through 7. I mean, essentially. It's, it kind of cross ties. Amazing on this one. So anyhow, I have to look at battle in this world as Satan. I, I mean, I'm a black and white person when it comes to that. Yes, I, I have a lot of feelings, but I, I think the boldness that God has really set on my heart is looking at as Satan as being <laughs> as being the one we're battling here. You know, not the person, but Satan's work. You know, the person that you're you're disagreeing with, not the guy, the person that God's created, but what Satan's using that person for. That's the battle we need to be fighting against. That's Satan's work, and I think of Satan as um, it, again, it's black and white. I mean, it is. It is light or dark. I, I can't reiterate that enough. That's such a perspective in me. And as a matter of fact, when we talk about all the standing and firm, you know, whether it's the wind with the tree or the the water, the waves crashing, or um, you know, the forces coming in. Um, Look at it as black and white. It's Satan all the way trying to, to distinguish that. And in fact, I love this quote that I put here, or this um, this little paragraph here by the John Phillips commentary series. And this is this hits home for me. If we give any ground to Satan, he will press his advantage. He will send his forces through the breach in our defenses. A mere skirmish in battle, if not contained, will quickly escalate into a crisis of major proportions. If we allow a little indulgence, he a little carelessness there, a sneak peep at a questionable book or a shelf on the bookstore, battalions of evil thoughts and lustful desires will seize our imaginations and entrench themselves in our minds. Only a long and determined effort will dislodge them, and even then, some will lurk in their recesses of the soul to regroup and attack again and again, often in life's holiest moments. So Paul's exhortation is to us, stand fast in the Lord, stand firm in the Lord, rebuke Satan. I have to say that all the time, because my my daughter... About two weeks ago, came into me. I told her about a story about a little girl um, when I was in kindergarten. Called me a big fat chicken, and, and anyway, it devastated me. It devastated my mom. She was ticked off, you know, to a sense. And I was telling my, my daughter that. Well, my daughter knows about the the forces of, of, of Satan, and and we we say it in a kid sense. I mean, you know, I don't want her to come across being, you know, she, we want her to be so secure in the Lord that she knows why we need to be secure in the Lord. But the other day, she just came around the corner. She goes, "Mom, I got to tell you something." I mean, what? She goes, "You're a big fat chicken." I went. Excuse me, she goes, I think Satan told me to say that. I said, Eva Zimmerman, we are going to rebuke Satan right now. I don't care if it's a big fat chicken or not. We're rebuking and I prayed with her because, I, I, you know, it starts there. And that really, you know, it didn't hurt me. I kind of kind of laugh a little bit, but I didn't want her to see that. I wanted her to know there's some serious business. If she's, if she's, you know, if her intention was to call me a name, anyhow, I had to nip it in the bud right there and say, you know, we're going to rebuke Satan on that. And, you know, there is nothing crazy in my world by rebuking Satan in the middle of the grocery store or wherever it is that that happens. And because, you know what, it's around us. It is around us. And if we're not armed up in the grocery store, in your home, you know, in the bathroom, wherever it is, um, those things can happen, you know. But the point is, is that we've got to get off that ladder. Patty and John talked about this um, um, series ago, maybe last year, about, you know, infidelity and adultery and being on that ladder. I don't know if any of you have heard that, but, you know, the ladder, here's... um, adultery up here um, and then the ladder to get there is it starts first with broken emotions and being friendly with another you know uh 
obviously sex friend, and then maybe exchanging emails and talking on the phone, then maybe going to lunch. And that ladder, it just keeps excelling, 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 and then before you know it, random moment, Satan sweeps in, and then there it is. It's done. It happens. And Satan loves to do that. You might not think that something is that um, is is that bad. Television shows, for example, um, it's crappy. Part of me, but it is—it's nothing but crud. It's crud. Most of them. I mean, probably ninety-nine percent of them. It's just you, the commercials that come on in between them. You just start thinking, my kids are zoning out on it. I, I can't go there. I mean, I, I have to—I have to be armored up to, to be seeing these things so that I can shut off the TV or just say we're not watching TV. You know. But there's—that's just a small example. Facebook is another one. The list goes on. I mean, music for some people that are listening to ungodly music or. That they don't think, they don't know that the lyrics are ungodly and then it's penetrating their mind and then they're singing it before you know it. I mean, there's just so many ways that Satan works. And that's how we have that, that little um, paragraph that I just read to you, uh, to me, is just amazing. I mean, that really sums it up for me. Satan will do anything he can. He's not going to do it like a Mack truck. He's going to sweep through and get a foothold. And that goes along with... Um, with disagreements, which we're going to talk about here. But the great news is here is we are in position to be adequate. We are in the position. If you don't think so, you're wrong. And why? Because God is on our team. However, if you wander away from your position, you're going to mess up somewhere, or you'll have that tendency to do that. It's like biting a me, it's the light. We talk about that when, you know, follow the light, being the light, abiding in me. If you step out of that zone, now you're starting going into danger territory. If you step out further in that zone, you're going to be in more danger. I mean, it, it just stacks up for you. Our practice must be lined up with our stance, though. It has to be lined up with that. We need to practice, just like athletes practice. You're not going to um, condition a... Uh, let's see, a high jumper, um, maybe to do long distance runs, you're going to condition a high jumper to jump heights, doing a lot of jumps, you know? You're going to, pre- that's the stance that they are, and you're going to condition them to do that. Same thing with us. Our stance needs to be here, so we need to practice it, practice it, practice it, and we need to line it up with that. This makes an adequate stand, and it makes us stand firm. Okay, number two is adequate love. Where is the adequate love in verse one? Paul says, for whom I love and long for. How do you think the Philippians felt hearing those words? It softens people's hearts, especially when he's starting that passage. What about dear friends? That's another sign that he says you are loved. Does that portray love? And guess what? In verse 2, two of them are two women, Udiah and Sintechi. Um, And get this, Udiah means sweet fragrance, and Sintechi means Pleasant, which is ironic because they were bickering. Um, and generally, um, you don't hear two names called out. So for Paul to call out two names in this letter is probably a pretty big deal. He knows something's going on, and he knows that something um, could transpire this if he does not call them out. But he's doing it lovingly. He's doing it lovingly. Now, get this. Too. They're ladies. So they're ladies. Ladies are, there are a lot of ladies strong in the gospel. A lot of ladies. And, and so we cannot forget the power that women have too out on the ministry field. Um, just, uh, you know, it's underlines or, it's, you know, there's a whole different, um, different power with that as well. Um, but they were wonderful women at that because they did work passionately alongside. 
with valued Christians for the same reason. I mean, it's written that, that they were they were very valued and their works were very acknowledged. So Paul isn't just loving the lovely. He is loving the unlovely bickering ladies. These women were not helping his work one bit by bickering. And isn't that true of what we go in, what we go through today as a church or as fellow sisters in Christ is bickering? Um, it just doesn't help God's, God's purpose in this. Um, in fact, this... Um, in fact, this uh, Paul is pretty serious about this, and he calls them out by name in a letter, and it would be read in front of the entire congregation. So it's like Pastor John getting a letter and saying, um, Hey, Marnus, um, hey, Becky, listen here, I plead with you. I mean, can you imagine sitting in church and all of a sudden, you know, uh, John gets a letter and says, Okay, we're going to read from Paul. Okay, Marnus and Becky, I plead, I plead with you. Oh, my goodness, can you imagine those two just sitting there, you know? I mean, to say it in front of the congregation, you die yeah for a whole hour and a half, I could, which is just really interesting. But, you know, what's interesting with that is that um, Paul doesn't take two sides. I mean, any side. He, he does not take either side. He doesn't even force either side. He's not saying, you're right, you're wrong. Well, and sometimes I say try to put the first name, when you mention the first t- name, apparently he's meaning that maybe you're the, the mature one or the one that, you know, come on now, come on, <laughs> you know better than that. And then the second name, that's some commentaries we're talking about that. But he is not taking sides, and nor is he telling anybody in the congregation to take sides. And that's something we have to think about as a church, too. How many times do we have disagreements within the church, and then it gets out of control because you're taking sides, and then you bring back negative information about the other one, and then it just piles on and piles on? The first thing we need to do is just stop that. We need to realize that that is not the intention that God had for this. The intent, that's Satan's intention right there. That's getting on that first rung of the ladder. We need to break it off right there. You need you nip it in the bud and you need to start praying and we need to start you know loving people not starting division and that's 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 tough sometimes especially when it's an emotional but that's something that God comes in and, and infiltrates your heart infiltrates with that love and that love is what's binding and that's so important and this happens way too often I mean it really does you hear about these bickers and 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 it's sad because in the whole scheme of things, that's going to start causing that bitter seed that starts growing, and then it causes that division. Well, what are the the people that are seeking the Lord going to think about that? Especially the the ones that are truly trying to figure this thing out. They're going to see a church that has divisiveness and bickering and all this. That's no neon sign. That's a that's a thought process of hey, I don't want any part of that congregation or that way of life. If that's how they live life and they're Christians, that's not for me. I can have a better life without that. So those are the kind of things he's trying to do. That he's trying to head it on because that could be devastating for what the Philippians are trying to get off ground in that area as well. 
Paul even enlists his fellow co-workers to help them love. Okay, so Clement was, was um, uh, listen, also his fellow yoke fellow. Well, I, I have to point this out because I know when um, several years ago when I was going through marriage mentoring training, at our previous church, I found it inter- I knew nothing about farming. My husband's the farmer in our family, but the yoke, when you think about the, a yoke, a yoke is what goes over an oxen, and I, <laughs> it was like two little dogs to me, but they, they go over an oxen, so you, you think of the two, you know, the oxen that are there with the yoke, you've seen it in maybe some of the, you know, old shows, or you might see some pictures, pictures of it, but when that, when, when people are unequally yoked, so th- think about my husband and I, so if my husband and I are unequally yoked, one's going to carry the burden one's not as far as you know spiritual realm and so the load cannot be pushed i mean it's just gonna be taxing and wearing but when you're equally yoked you are sailing through you're you're working in unity and your load is getting carried across the field or whatever it is or you're plowing together but it's just almost impossible with an unequally yoked uh, relationship to, to carry out the duties that are called upon that oxen and so these are equally yoked people however they might become unequally yoked <laughs> if people are going to start ta- taking uh, taking sides here um, um, so it's important that the co-workers in, in the um, brotherhood here, in the sisterhood, um, come together, united. Remember, it's unity and helping this, you know, dissipate, you know, praying and, and loving these women and, say, and reminding them the realization is that this whole purpose is about the Lord Jesus Christ and spreading the message. It's not about, you know, your view, your view. It's about coming together and, and hey, we might have to agree to disagree sometimes and then pray that the Lord convicts us if we're in the wrong. I mean, and not boast about it or, you know, I've had it many times with fellow sisters. I agree to disagree. And I just pray over that situation because I think, you know what, if it's something that is wrong with me, Lord, show me, convict me. And then, you know what, when I'm convicted, I, I will apologize and I will repent and I will... But, even me in the flesh, or you in the flesh, or whoever we are on this, it, it's hard. It's hard, but we have to pray that the Lord does that work in us. Because I can't do it my own. I would be a stubborn little stinker. And that's not what God calls us to be. Okay? So, um, adequate love means loving the unlovely. What would have been the possible consequences of not pointing out this problem? I mean, it could be huge. Or what would happen if Paul, along with his fellow Christian brothers, chose not to love them and said, Hey, Marnus, Becky, you're out of here. <laughs> you know, you're out of here. I have no tolerance for you. You know, that kind of thing. Or just kind of disregarded them and cut them down or whatever. What if they chose to do that? What signal? What kind of approach? It's a foothold that, that Satan will get right there. Okay, so the question next here is, Is there a time in your life when you were not loved? What came of the situation? Or is there a time when you did not provide adequate love to someone during a trial or time of tension? How do you think it would have affected the outcome? I think affected is wrong there. Just a couple minutes there. Okay. I know that you could talk all day as well as I could, but we have to move on here. Um, and in any time when we're missing out on questions, jot yourself some notes on the side if you want to kind of internally process that a little bit more and study that throughout the Bible. Um, but think about disagreements in your own life. Disagreement in our own, in, in our own life can cause a lot of different things. Primarily, they don't cause a lot of joy. Um, but this is what Dr. Uh, uh, gentleman Dr. McMillan from None of These Diseases writes, a Christian writer here. For centuries, scoffers have ridiculed the vice of Jesus. Love your enemies. They say it is impractical, idealistic, and absurd. Today, psychiatrists are recommending it as a panacea for many of the man's ills. When Jesus said, forgive 70 times 7, he was thinking not only for our souls, but of saving our bodies from ulcerated colitis, 
arthritis, toxic goiters, high blood pressure, and scores of other diseases. <laughs> and let me tell you, my I volunteer for the American Heart Association passionately, and um, my father passed away from a heart attack, and I know the effects of stress. And I know he was under a lot of stress in a lot of time of his, his life, but I know the stats on stress as well and what that can do for the body. It's just amazing. Talking about you know, an affair of the heart, literally, you know, uh, stress and what it can do to you. Um, Colossians 3, 8, I'm going to read this if you don't have time to turn your Bible because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skim through these a little quickly here so we can get through all the points. But now you must rid yourselves of all these things such as anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Those are the things that come when there is a lack of love. And in Colossians three twelve through 14, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Real living is real loving. So how do you start loving somebody you don't love? Ask God to help you love that person. It's prayer, a lot of prayer, a lot of getting to know the truth of the Lord and what he can do for you. Um, I have a, a daughter, a bonus daughter, as someone called it in here years ago, and I, it's a stepdaughter that, that um, and I'm going to be sensitive about this, because I love her, I love her, but it has been a difficult time with a teenager, and we've gone through, she's had a lot of baggage with her, and it's hard to love. I, I cannot deny, I'm being honest, I'm being truthful, that is some, I felt like I could conquer anything, and then God puts this in front of me, I'm like, oh, you know, I, I'm like, I I have to repeat, I felt like I've gone through everything, death, um, broken marriage, broken relationships, blah, 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 and then here I have another, you know, situation, and I'll tell you, it's been a, a rough couple of years, but I have to love her, and, and it's not just like what we're saying, love, it's a God love, and that God love, I, I just hope she sees that, but it's, it's with God, because there's so many things that, that bless her heart has happened that has hurt us and hurt me and 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 it's easy to get angry about but that's that's exactly what Satan wants us to do. He wants me to do it to sever that opportunity for her to get to know the Lord. He he's gonna do everything he can. Dark cannot live with light, but with God's power we can battle it and, and I love her. I love her. Um, but it's tough. It's a t- it's tough. But I have to also go to that person. I've had to ask for forgiveness for being kind of shut off a little bit and that's what we need to do too. Go to that person, ask for forgiveness for not loving them. I've had to do that. It's humiliating. It's humiliating as a mother to go and ask your daughter, will you please forgive me? I mean, she didn't see it, but in my heart, I saw it. Thank God she didn't see it, but I was seeing it, and I wanted her to know. I had to do that. I had it because God forgave me. And trying to build a relationship of love, knowing that I'm coming down wrong, being humiliated and humble was good for her to see. But And that's been years ago, but um, but it's still been a struggle. But she knows that's the struggle. But I often contend by saying that it is Satan trying to, that's the work of Satan trying to put device in this. So we've got to remember that. We've got to rebuke Satan together, 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 together. Because that's the point of what our purpose is, is to defeat him. If you are in Jesus Christ, the love is already there, standing firm in the Lord. Doing this may cause you to to be humble and humiliated, like I just said, but that is dying to self, (laughs) and it really is. It's dying to self. Okay, question. What should be your response to disagreements within your church or fellowship group? 
or maybe you've had one and you want to talk about it with your sisters here, what should be your response? Just take, we need a quick minute on this one, but I feel like maybe some might want to touch base on this. Okay, I know that probably some of us have even experienced disagreements within your small circle friends or a large fellowship group, and it's tough. It is. It can be emotional, distressing for some of us as well. But again, with the power of the Lord and to being in prayer and petition and making sure you know your that God knows your request on this, there's nothing that you cannot handle. I mean, there is, especially being humiliated and humble, especially um, when you think fellowship in our church, our family too, that are believers, are also part of that church. So it goes even with our family. Um, I do have to point out, our fellowship yoke fellow here, <laughs> you know, our sisters in Christ, oh, amazing resource to just lift you up. I mean, it is not, um, it is not God working when we're bickering and feeding into it with gossip and um, negativity and yada, yada, yada about that person. That is not, that is not God. That is not. But when we're lifting each other up and, and looking at how Paul lifted these two people up and j- did not take sides, just said, you know, th- we've got a, we've got an issue here, we've got to deal with it. He's looking on the fact that Satan is going to try to use us as, as a divided situation. But you, it, how blessed are we to have fellow sisters? I mean, two weeks ago, I've sat at this table over here with Claire and you guys, and I, I, I was telling Megan this, this story. I was like, man, I, I, you know, I'm at a totally different table. I don't know anybody, you know, too well. But I, it was just like, oh, these are my sisters. They're so wise and they're here to hear me and they're here to help each other out and I love them and they just were offering wonderful pieces of wisdom that I just couldn't even conjure up, you know, that it was totally the Lord. I mean, amazing, amazing sisters in here. Or Becky, who I call out the blue and I'm crying and, and I'm in despair with my daughter, my teenage daughter, and she's like, lift, you know, she's a sister in Christ lifting me up and, and calling me out lovingly on the things that I should not be thinking instead of doing. And that's, there's a difference. Calling people out in a loving way, there's a difference. And in Corinthians, Paul talks a little bit about that well. And, and it makes a world of difference. And when she's in the Lord, she's calling me out lovingly. Okay, okay, I get it. And you know what? As a Christian, I'll be humiliated and humble, and that's okay. But if I'm defensive, boy, I got some work to do in practicing knowing what the what the Word says and what the Lord wants me to be acting upon. Um, okay, so the next one though is adequate joy. Okay, this appears this appears joy. The word joy appears approximately 16 times in the letter to the Philippians. Um, and so, if you can tell what the besides standing firm, joy is a big portion of what he's trying to relay here. How many people Americans suffer emotional and mental illnesses? A lot. And what is crazy is that America is the land where we have everything we need to make us happy. I'm going back to the infomercials, the commercials, the prescription drugs. I'm not dissing some of those. I'm just saying we rely so heavily on those things. Okay, and we rely on it to make us happy. We rely on restaurants. Any commercial you see, you're going to see happy. A quote here. Happiness. It's kind of like what Margie talked about last week about the rubbish. You know, what we focus in on rubbish is the worldly aspects of happiness. All rubbish. The true, the true sincere ideology of happiness is really in joy. And joy only comes from the Lord. I mean, there's so much truth to that. But in, in just a surface level, the happiness we see is so commendable from marketing campaigns and consumerism and walking into Target and seeing these beautiful things or whatever it is. You know, and, and we have everything to make us happy. Yet we still complain. You know, I find that very interesting. I'm part of that. Um, is this adequate joy? No. And happiness is based on happenings. Joy is from the Lord. 
Philippians 4.4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Do you think he's trying to say something here? He says it with an exclamation mark here. Rejoice. Just in case you didn't get it the first time, Paul says rejoice. Paul who? Well, let me read to you Paul who. Okay, in 2 Corinthians 11, uh, 22-29, you can turn there or listen to what I have to say about Paul here. Okay. Are they servants of Christ? I am out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea again, and in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches who is weak and I do not feel weak, who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn. Isn't that amazing? That, you just think that. How amazing. How amazing is that? You think of maybe even the third world countries, you know, and I'll use an example, again, of my beautiful seven-year-old daughter who, um, around January, we had a full household of people, and she was crying and complaining because she couldn't find a pair of pajamas that looked like her cousin's pajamas that she had brought. And she had four pairs of pajamas, could not find the one that she desperately needed to have on. And I mean, if I had never seen a fit, and I really, this is not like her, but she threw the biggest fit. And I thought, my goodness, first of all, I prayed. Megan has taught me to pray for God to numb my nerves. Did that first. And then I just felt like God was putting on my heart to really sit down with her lovingly and just show her really what it is to be in need. <laughs> and I pulled up on my little computer. I happened to pull up, because um, we were uh, we just had some fresh um, chatter with a, a gal that's adopting. And I pulled up a, a site that had some patients on there of um, basically naked little girls with cleft palates and things. I mean, just the first thing on the website. And who needed sponsorship. Desperately, and I and I just explained to her. I'm like, you know, is this what you need? Is this what you need? Do you need those pair of pajamas when you have four pairs and this little girl has nothing? You know, is this something that you really need? Brought us both to tears. I could cry about it today. I mean, it's like when when we the rich meet the poor. It's like, aha, there is there is a definite definite. Um, line there that you can see that we are truly blessed. We have everything. And I look at Paul in the same situation. Now, if you if you know what Paul's been through, now you can understand the context of what he's saying. Boy, he's been all through that. And you think we've got it bad? Some of us, you know? That's how we look at that, okay? So, Paul was beat. Paul was in jail. Paul who was faced with death many times. Paul who was persecuted. Do you think Paul rejoiced in those awful circumstances then? No. He's not saying, bring it on. Rejoice in the circumstance, everybody. He is using the circumstances to show us that there is power and weakness. The power comes from the Lord. And in 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10, you might want to write that down. 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10, because that's one great verse to study based upon what you just heard about Paul. And in Philippians, he says this, rejoice in the Lord. He says that, okay? Romans 5, I'm not going to go through these because i got to hit a few points, but Romans 5, 3 through 5 also talks about rejoicing in our sufferings. If you know the passage, not only so, but we also rejoice in the suffering. Wait, I'll say rejoice in the suffering? What does that mean? It's not kind of the context he's talking about. If you back up and read prior to 5, um, 3 through 5 in Romans, 
He will talk about the, the powers in the Lord to get through that. And so, therefore, we rejoice for that suffering because it's the power that makes us complete in weakness. So that's what he's talking about. And in, re, in, in, in retrospect, that's a life verse of mine. Suffering, suffering then produces perseverance. Per, perseverance produces uh, character. Character produces hope. And no one can take away our hope. Okay, God has given us that hope, especially with the eternity of, of um, what's ahead of us. Okay, so Christian joy has two qualities, basically. Um, I'm just summing it up here. You might find many more, but overall, number one is it's incessant. Always, always, always. It is in the Lord, not the circumstance. Not the cheesy grin on my face all the time and all day long. Um, that's not the kind of joy. It's the kind of joy that comes because of your, your relationship with Jesus Christ. It, that's the joy. Number two, it is independent. It is not joy because of, it's joy in spite of. And man, when we're talking about, you know, conquering Satan, we're knowing what the promise is with the Lord, that's joyful. Okay, so that's adequate joy. I like what John MacArthur says about adequate joy. He says, in my circumstances, I have sorrow. In my relationship to Jesus, I have constant joy. It's just constantly saying, hey, Lord, I'm yours, and I don't understand what's going on, but I'm so glad I belong to you. That's rejoicing. And a matter of fact, um, you don't know what the circumstance is. You, you don't, and you don't know what he's doing behind the scenes. I, I can take many examples um, of maybe someone being alone. Um, you know, I prior to my marriage crumbling, I was alone. I was absolutely alone. And um, and even today, I'm, I with uh, my old friends, I'm alone. I don't get invited to the things that I used to get invited by all those people, maybe at work or things. And you know what? That's okay. At first, you start thinking, aw, you know, maybe they don't like you. But you know what? I'm like, praise God. God is protecting me from that. You know, I don't know what kind of riffraff is going on. And he's protecting me for some reason. He's keeping me out of the scene. He'll open the doors when the doors come open. But there's a reason why, you know, God is protecting me or, or keeping me alone in certain circumstances. Um, some uh, Betrayal is another one. Um, how many times we're like, oh, you know, I just feel like I'm, I'm betrayed. Maybe be a spouse or a friend. For me, you know, I just felt like my whole marriage was a betrayal situation and it was devastating. Um, but what we went through to get to the point where we both recommitted my life, our lives to Christ was worth it. God worked behind the scenes. I can rejoice and say I would go, I would do that all over again. I really would if it was to save my husband and my and myself for eternity. I would do it again. Um, on the other hand, you look at um, death. You take um, Margie's situation, for example. And, um, yes, her son passed away of a long, long-suffering death of cancer for a few years. But, you know what, the, I don't want to say this in a harmful context, but her son was saved. And it was towards the end of his battle. He was saved. And she knows that he was saved. However, what would have happened if he was in a car accident two years prior? And that was his untimely death. It's strange. It's strange how God works. I don't understand it. I don't know if that was his way. But if you put it in different perspectives, maybe I was late today because God was protecting me from an accident on the road. Or whatever that was. You know, I'll just trust in the Lord on that. You know, I don't have to try to conjure in as much as I do. But we are told 70 times in the New Testament to rejoice. Whatever that may be, rejoice. And again, um, I don't understand what's going on, but I'm so glad I belong to Jesus. I'm so glad. And therefore, I will rejoice. All right, so rejoicing. Um, what does that? What does rejoicing mean to you? And, and when do you tend to rejoice? And that's something that, um, because we're lacking time, I really want you to focus in on, you know, these next few days is what, what is it that allows me to rejoice? Is it, do, am I prompted by circumstance to rejoice? 
Because if that's the case, I might have to reconsider why I rejoice and, and really, you know, look into um, the true meaning of what rejoicing is. Okay, number four um, is adequate gentleness. Philippians 4, 5 says this, Let your gentleness be evident to all. Gentleness, one of the fruit of the Spirit, is in Galatians. Some people do not know how to adjust themselves to others by being gentle and loving and tender-hearted. And matter of fact, <laughs> in one of the commentaries, one of the uh, passages was talking about in this passage, regarding this passage, it's like a bull going through a china cabinet. I mean, do you know people that are like that? I mean, it might be in the workforce, it might be a spouse, it might be a child, it might be a friend, um, neighbor. It's like a bull going through a china cabinet, you know, and then you're just like, I mean, your fear, you know, you don't know what they're going to say or what they're going to do, and it's, it's like dynamite ready to explode, um, and it's interesting because people, or maybe it's you, <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> but it might be you, and the, the point here is that we need to learn through the Lord, because our flesh tends to take over, but when we're out of our flesh, the Lord can can help you with that. He can He can create that gentleness side when you need to be gentle. I mean, God, it says in Scripture we're called to be gentle, and if you can't turn down that dial, then then the Lord needs to help you with that. Standing the Lord will help you with that. So you need to identify that, acknowledge it, repent, and start doing it. Um, but the question here for for you again internally here is: Are there moments in which you've had adjustment issues regarding um, gentleness, and what are they? And again taking that home and staying on it. Because for me, I think I talked about this um, uh, at one of the lessons. And I know I know Patty signs me these lessons, but I totally think they're for me at those times. Um, but gentleness with my children, right inside my home, my comfort zone. I mean, it was, you know, I can go through, racing through, and be like, pick up this, and I'm a bowl in a china cabinet. Look at those precious little things. They don't know what hit them. You know, same thing. I mean, it's, it's kind of true. Um, but it's the same thing here, even in the home. I mean, we're not talking just outside of your Christian fellowship or, or the battlefield of people that are unbelievers. We're talking in here, too, because if my kids are growing up like that, they don't, they're not going to want to be a, a Christian if they, if they see that type of action, you know, in our household. They're going to be like, what, is that what Christianity is? You know, um, and, and that's what, I, I don't want to take a risk for them even doubting that. Um, so it starts with you as well. Okay, I'm going to um, read here Second Timothy 2, 24 through 26 to save you time from flipping through the Bible. And the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. I love that, Mr. Timothy. First, or Second Corinthians also is a great way to lovingly approach people. And then First Thessalonians um, 2, 6 through 7 um, reads this. As apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you, but we are gentle. We were gentle among you, like a mother caring for her little children. And and this passage also in other commentaries talks about a mother, like a mother nursing her child. I mean, I'm a nurser. I'm nursing my children. There's no way I cannot be gentle, not, not be gentle nursing. I have to sit down. You know, crush my child. <laughs> Imagine me going through like a bull in a china camp trying to nurse. It's not possible. It's not possible. It won't work. Same thing here. That's what he, the analogy is. So Paul was a lion, a lion of courage. Paul fought violently to the nail against sin, but Paul was like a lamb when it came to being gentle. Adequate gentleness. And the time was right. It was God's timing when he was, when he had to portray that. Okay. The last one here is adequate security. Philippians 4, 5 through 7 says this. 
The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving present present your request to God. This is a passage I could talk on for two, four, three, five, six, seven, eight hours. But don't forget that the Lord is always near. Never forget that. Don't worry about anything. He is right here with us. Hopefully we're abiding in him, but when we kind of step out, he's right there. He's right there. Get back in. Get back in. Don't worry about anything. Matter of fact, Matthew 6.25 says this. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And with that, this is a really good poem that someone wrote. Said a robin to a sparrow, I should really like to know why these anxious human beings rush about and worry so. Said the sparrow to the robin, I suppose that it must be that they have no heavenly Father such as cares for you and me. That's kind of... It's true. It is true. I mean, the simplicity of that. Um, Matthew six thirty three. I'll read this to you. Says this. But seek first. This is what Jesus says. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry for itself. Each day had trouble has troubles of its own. And then going on about what you've been worried about. Remember that this this. The Lord is right here. You need to practice his presence or knowing his presence. Practicing the presence of Jesus Christ and become preoccupied with the presence of Jesus Christ by knowing him, knowing his word, that is our security. When you have a chance, read Psalm 121 because it's powerful as well. And think about some of your man-made securities and what they are and what they do for your life and how they might uh, let you down. Know that Jesus will never let you down. That's the ultimate security. Practicing the presence of Christ is having your mind saturated with his thoughts. Study the word. Study, study, study the word. Pray to him, pray to him, pray to him. Give him thanks. I think uh, we're going to be ta- I think um, if I'm right, Megan, we're going to be talking a little bit about how to pray, how to pray a little bit better towards the end. I, maybe. Megan thinks it's a great idea for us to study that at the end. And um, I think that's what we might be talking about. Um, the more you do this, the more secure you are. Think prayer and petition. Practice these things. And then um, in Philippians 4.13, remember this. When you doubt that you can't have these adequacies, remember this. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. So this is how to have an adequate stance. This is how to have an adequate love. This is how to have an adequate joy. This is how to have an adequate gentleness. This is how to have an adequate security through him and the Lord. Okay. Yeah. Amen. All right. Let me close this prayer for you. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much for this day, Lord. Today we rejoice in it, the day that you have made, Lord. Whatever our circumstances be, Lord, um, just show us um, what what type of reaction and testimony we can make of it, Lord. Um, if we are in you, um, these circumstances are nothing, Lord. In the whole picture, in the whole realm of things, help us to know that that we can't get caught up and, and allow time to escape by focusing on problems and worries and such, Lord. That we ask you to convict us of those times when we, we might slip and to, to get us back on our feet so we stand firm, Lord, so that we can go out and do your word, your purpose. Lord, we just thank you for our sisters, um, especially here at Heartstrings, um, how we are, are coming together unified, learning and studying the word, Lord, knowing the word so that we can go out and stand firm in you, Lord. Today we just ask that uh, um, you pick up those who are weak, Lord. Um, 
you know, we can be the prayer warriors for the ones that are weak and, and vice versa. And we thank you for that opportunity, Lord. And today as we walk out of here, Lord, just um, allow us to continue to um, uh, focus in on the word that we, we uh, study today. And um, just help us to uh, grow and mature in, in what we've learned. And we ask this in your name. Amen. Have a great day.